The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 0111911. All right, sir. Thank you. It is Friday, April 15, 2022. I'm Dave Congleton. We are keeping an eye on that traffic situation on 101, and we'll give you regular updates throughout the show. Uh, County Supervisor Dawn Ortiz-Leg is seeking another four years in office, representing District 3. She will be with us during the 5 o'clock hour, and then we'll do our Friday night open line last call promptly at 6.05. We are spending this hour, as we do every Friday during the 4 o'clock hour, with the the one, the only, Mr. King Harris, our pop music muse. This week, King wants to salute those songs that were number one in the late 50s and in the 60s that perhaps, as he's about to suggest, they should not have been. For example, here's a number one song from 1960. Uh, that's uh, Calcutta by Lawrence Welk, not to be confused with O Calcutta. Here's King Harris. King, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dave, and thanks for having me on your show. It's sure. uh, always great to be here every Friday and listen to you and um, learn a few things, if you know what I mean. What are we learning uh, this week? <laughs> if you've tuned in to hear my uh, muse on uh, Dave Congleton's show, you know how much I appreciate all kinds of popular music, especially from the 50s and 60s. But once in a while, I'll come across an RPM record that leaves me flat, particularly those who achieve number one status and don't deserve it, even for one week, much less more. So today on Muse, I thought it'd be fun to feature what I think are some of the worst number one songs in Billboard charts from 1955-69. My opinion may differ from yours, but I'm open to discussion. Many songs I didn't like initially grew on me over the years. I can't say for the song we just heard, Calcutta, with Lawrence Welk, who didn't even know the record was being made without using his name. Really? What's the, what's the, oh no, he had no idea. What's another good candidate for one of the worst songs? How about, uh, let's, let's try Mitch Miller from 1955. All right. There's a yellow rose in Texas that I am gone. This was number one for six weeks in 1955. Oh, six grueling weeks. You know, the Yellow Rose of Texas, Dave, is a Civil War song written in 1863 with racial overtones and made famous by Gene Autry in the 30s. 
Well, 20 years later, it was popularized by Columbia Records producer Mitch Miller, whose disdain for rock and roll is well known. This tune, in any arrangement, is hardly relevant to a nine-year-old boy, which I was at the time. Plus, in getting to number one for six weeks, it knocked Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock from the top spot. Wow. That did not do me well. This alone was a travesty. I felt the same way about Tammy, which in 1957 knocked Elvis Presley's teddy bear from the top spot. What's happening to rock and roll? Hmm. Here's Debbie Reynolds. I hear the cottonwoods whispering above Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love The old hootie owl hootie hoos to the dove Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love I think I I kind of like that song. 1957. I'm not going to be grudge that. 1957 <laughs> for five weeks. Now, see, I have nothing against movie scores, but just about the last thing I wanted to do back then was rush out to a theater with mom and dad to see Tammy and the Bachelor, which featured Debbie Reynolds' version of Tammy, which owned August for five very long weeks. Now, I was elated to find out years later that Tammy inspired Motown impresario Barry Gordy Jr. to name his first label Tamla after Tammy, which, by the way, once it gets in your head, five weeks seems like a breeze. <laughs> song I never wanted in my head at all came out a year later. It was totally foreign to me. It still is, but apparently not to a lot of other people. Here's Domenico Maduño. Um, in just a second here. Uh, this is Volare? This is Nel Blue de Pinto de Blue, or Volare. All right, let me see here. It's queuing up. Modugno, so let's bring him on. on. On Ed Sullivan, by all means. Volare, my pleasure. Well, hang, hang on, hang on. Ed Sullivan's talking for a while. Here we go. So who's the American singer that had the hit with this? Well, Frankie Avalon. Okay, yeah. But, I mean, you know, 1958 rock and roll had a pretty good year, despite a slight decline. And one of the reasons, I'm sure, was a song we just heard. But it, it was a favorite, Volare, sung by Domenico Maduño, straight from Italy, to belong more on a cruise ship than on the top 40, I think. Anything with an organ that cheesy certainly doesn't deserve a week at number one, much less five weeks. I said, I'll take Bobby Rydell's version. And by the way, Bobby Rydell, who recently died, rest in peace, my friend. Another teen idol had huge success in the charts in 1959. Too much success, I think. 
I was never a big fan of Frankie Avalon in the first place, and my outlook was confirmed when the Philadelphia singer spent five weeks at number one in March of 1959 with what I consider a pretty insipid song called Venus. Venus make her fair. I love the girl with sunlight in her hair. And take the brightest stars up in the skies and place them in her eyes for me. All right, let's uh, break away. When we come back, we're going to chat more with King Harris and hear more songs from the 1950s and 60s. These were all number one on the charts, and King doesn't think any of them should have been. We'll also get an update from Craig Hill about what's happening on Highway 101. This is Hometown Radio. Johnny Horton, the Battle of New Orleans, 1959. Six weeks at number one, King. Hey, yeah, He was once a great rockabilly star. He had six weeks, you're right, with the Battle of New Orleans, a song about America battling the British in 1814. How that's relevant to someone who's like 13 years old and loves rock and roll is beyond me. And just as I was getting over my headache caused by Johnny Court Horton's irrelevant history lesson, another migraine developed a couple of months later when my radio offered me a French song about a small town whose people gather around to honor the birth, the wedding, and the death of some little Jimmy Brown. The song in French is titled Les Trois Cloches, meaning the three bells in English. It was a big hit at one time for Chantou's Edith Piaf that somehow made its way to America as a country song performed by Jim Ed Brown and his sisters Maxine and Bonnie. Does anybody have any aspirin, please? And this is performed at the uh, Grand Old Opry. Hey, can't yeah. get any better than that. Bless the sour of meditation, guide him with There's the village hidden deep in the valley Beneath the mountains high above And there, twenty years thereafter Jimmy was to meet his love Bum, 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 bum All the chapel bells were ringing Oh, I remember that part. Now that I heard that part, I remember this. Oh, yeah. I tried to forget. <laughs> that was... That was there for four weeks, believe that or not. Now, keep in mind, if you've got a number one record for four or five weeks, that means you've already heard it four or five weeks before then. 
and then you're going to hear it four or five weeks after that. So you're looking at like three months of listening to the three bells by the Browns. Mm, yeah. that's, that's, that's pretty hard to take. At the late 50s and early 60s, Dave, had its rock and roll moments, but it's hard to tell sometimes by listening to number ones like Sugar Shack. Recorded by Jimmy Gilmer and the Fireballs and produced by one-time Buddy Holly manager Norman Petty, Sugar Shack was an inane, simple, bouncy, and irritating diatribe about a guy who's got the hots for a barefoot, cute little girly in a black leotard who pours mighty good espresso coffee in a crazy little shack beyond the tracks. Sugar Shack was number one for five weeks. The best-selling single of 1963. The best-selling single. Go figure that one out. Here it is. You can understand why I've got to get back up to that sugar shack. Eh, I've heard worse, but, yeah. I, I do remember yeah, well, that song. Yeah, I remember number it. One for five, number one for five weeks in the best-selling single of that year. Something's terribly wrong. Well, let me ask but you, King, okay. is this because of Paola? Uh, well... I won't go that far, but uh, sure, why not? I mean, you know, here, give me some dough or give my wife a mink coat or buy me a Cadillac and I'll play a Jimmy Gilmer. Yeah. Now, Dave, the end of 1963 was somber for all of us, which is why we never uh, never surprised me the number one pop song of the month of December in 1963, right after the assassination of President Kennedy, was one authored by a nun whose musical presence offered much-needed comfort, I guess. Enter Jean-Paul-Marie Deckers, or Sewer Cerie, the singing nun. She could sing and play a guitar and write songs, one of which was about Dominica, a saint who founded her order. It was not only a U.S. number one smash for four weeks, but it was a global sensation as well. No disrespect, but what comforted me back then was more rock and roll traditional Christmas fare than anything else, but a lot of people liked Dominique. Certains jours, un hérétique par des ronces le conduit, mais notre père Dominique, par sa joie, le convertit. Dominique, dit Kenique, s'en allait tout simplement. Où tu es, pauvre et chantant? En tout chemin, en tout lieu, il ne parle que du bon Dieu, il ne parle que du bon Dieu. King Harris highlighting songs from the late 50s and 60s that hit number one on the charts, and he thinks they should not have been, including The Singing Nun. I, wasn't, wasn't there a movie with like Debbie Reynolds as The Singing Nun? There probably was, yeah. but, uh, you yeah. know, knowing me, I never saw it. Okay. But uh, i got, I got to say, though, this opened the door to the Beatles, which is good. 
and everything British, bringing a much-needed positive boost to everyone's mood and morale. There were some great numbers uh, that year, especially number one songs, including the Beatles, Beach Boys, Supremes, Roy Orbison, even Dean Martin. Now, why is Lauren Green on this list? Well, because the Bonanza star performed a corny song about a Western outlaw called Ringo, which went number one in November of 64, only because it was named after, guess who? Uh, Dave, you mentioned Paola. This kind of marketing scam is maybe far worse than that. Yeah. Ringo with Lauren Green. All right, let's hear it. His heart was an ounce of lead, but a spark still burned, so I used my knife. And late that night, I saved the life of Ringo. Ringo, Ringo. I nursed him till the danger passed. The days went by, he mended fast. And then from dawn till setting sun, he practiced with that deadly gun. And hour on hour, I watched in awe. No human being could match the draw of Ringo. I'm not sure we can say, King, that he's singing this song. Well, he did have a voice. Must have used it some good intention, but... uh, Well, yeah, but this is not... He's not singing. He's just reciting. He's telling a story. I got it. All the way to the the bank. Yeah. So you you think Ringo was simply because of Ringo Starr? Well, it kind of helped, don't you think? Hmm. I mean, what person who liked the Beatles would even be interested in some guy named Ringo who's an outlaw. And, you know, Clint Eastwood wasn't even invented yet. Anyway, hmm. so, uh, so that I, being I, the year, I got about, we got time for no, this next one? No, we got about 45 seconds. So let me ask you this okay. before the news break. When we say the yeah. number one, this is this mean the number of records that are sold? What do you mean? What makes it, What makes a song number one? Oh, well, it, uh, it's just chosen by different, you know, s- sales in stores, sales okay. in jukeboxes, okay. uh, uh, other kind of forms of record sales. It's kind of how they determine what reaches number one and what doesn't. Yeah, so... Uh, what's interesting, though, is to see how certain songs get to where they are, like the one we just heard. Yeah. All right, let me stop King Harris right here. We're off to California Headline News and ABC Radio News. Craig will give us an update on what's happening on the 101 with that uh, car accident slash car fire by Reservoir Canyon. Uh, more of King Harris and our highlighting of number one songs that probably should not have been. I'm Dave Congleton. Happy Friday. It is 434 on the Central Coast. I'm Dave Congleton reminding you that uh, County Supervisor Dawn Ortiz Leg will uh, be with us during the 5 o'clock hour. Meanwhile, we are having our weekly Friday music visit with King Harris. And today we're talking about uh, songs from uh, the late 50s and the 1960s that reached number one, top of the charts. And King Harris is trying to figure out why. I like this one. I'm a right old man, I'm Henry, Henry the eighth I am. 
Now, King, I I think this would be the perfect song for the end of a concert. His his final encore, and the crowd they go crazy. They'd sing back. You don't like it? Well, I like the use of your word "final." <laughs> You know, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, you know, he had uh, a number one song in March of 65 with uh, Mrs. Brown, You Got a Lovely Daughter. Okay, I'm willing to put up with that a little bit. But then Henry VIII, I Am, came out right after that, and I just can't see any reason for a song where you just basically have one verse, and that's it. Yeah. Instrumental guitar break in the middle, and... And Herman's a nice guy, you know, and he had made some pretty good music following in the Beatles and everything else. As far as uh, Herman goes, and as far as his vaudeville was, as bad as it was, far worse was, oh gosh, Winchester Cathedral, a British music hall number played by a bunch of studio musicians who called themselves a new vaudeville band, which megaphoned its way to the top slot for three weeks in December of 1966. I've always detested this kind of sound, which is why I always appreciated those five buttons on my car radio, which allowed me to quickly change the dial when real crappy compositions like Winchester Cathedral assaulted the airways. You don't believe me. Take a listen for three weeks. You mean, King, you don't like that? You don't like that I don't think I like it at all. No, thank you very much. Rudy Valley, I can do without. Now, you're probably asking yourself about this time, what's the worst number one song of all time? I don't think there's a contest. My choice is The Ballad of the Green Beret by Staff Sergeant Barry Sadler, a U.S. Special Forces soldier who assumed that we should all support the Vietnam War Although that theater was not mentioned in the propaganda he was spewing in the Ballad of Green Beret. But the flip side, letter from Vietnam, kind of gives it away, don't you think? Many Americans at the time in 1966 thought we should be fighting there. But uh, as much as I respect our women in uniform, and I do, was never crazy about songs that glorify war. This one in particular, especially when he advocates that his son grow up to be a Green Beret, too, like his dad, who says he died for the oppressed. Number one for five weeks, and the best-selling single of 1966 shows you where we all were, kind of politically, at that time. But only three, when the Green Beret Trained to live off nature's land Trained in combat hand a hand men who fight by night and day courage take from the green beret was Barry Sadler the one who did the original version of California Dreaming no that's um, oh, Barry McGuire Barry McGuire sorry All right. yeah 
different guy. Barry Sadler ended up getting, getting shot and killed in Nicaragua or something. Uh, some people say it was over a robbery of some kind, but anyway, he's no longer with us. Neither is that song, thank goodness. Another one, uh, number one record, made me wince every time I heard it, and Dave, this will interest you. It was called Cherish by a 60s band calling themselves the Association, who basically turned folk rock into easy listening. Now, along comes Mary, the first group hit in attempt to uh, make them hip. Apparently it was about weed. I could never tell because I never understood what the heck they were singing about. I should have smoked them to prepare me for Cherish. I could have lived without the phony and overdone adoration, fellas. This is number uh, one for three weeks, and it's one of Dave's favorite songs. I love this song. Here we go. Now, I'm sorry, King. I I don't think it's fair to compare this song to The Singing Nun or to Ringo or to <laughs> Calcutta. That's not fair. This this may not be your favorite song, but I think it deserved to be number one. I told you the well, song. I'll, my, my, I'll, I'll no, give you this, Dave. It's well produced. My you know, my I mean, my they, brother. They knew what they were doing. My brother. This woman broke up with him when he was in college. I still remember going to the record store with my brother, buying the forty-five of Cherish, and going to the ah. post office and mailing it to her at Western Illinois University. He sent her this record to try to win her back. It didn't win. It didn't work. <laughs> no, because it was warped. <laughs> That's fine. All right. Okay. The Association, they had a number one hit next year, you know, the Flower Chick song, uh, Wendy. Wendy. Hey, Wendy. Now, we all know the Supremes were Motown's most popular singing group. Took them a while to reach stardom. Once they did, thanks to the songwriting and producing team of Holland, Dozier, Holland, they scored big. When you think of all the great number one hits they had, damn near one right after another, and then consider the same status for something called The Happening, a horrible song written for a horrible movie, you got the feeling their ride was pretty much over. Despite HDH, The Happening never sounded like a Supreme song, and that made it the Hot 100 at all kind of surprised even me, but it was number one for one week. Again, what compared to Calcutta and Mitch Miller and Barry Sadler, I think it's a fine song. 
<laughs> I, I, you know, saw some people bought it. Yeah. Some people went out and saw the movie. I guess it was okay, but yeah. it just wasn't the Supremes that I was used to. And even the ones that came along a little bit after that. That was in 1967. And that followed a couple of great Supreme songs. They had Reflections that year and Love is Here and Now You're Gone. Uh, those are really strong songs. The Happening was an attempt at, I don't know what. All right. The, we're just I mean, gonna, we're, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep disagreeing. That's fine. Okay, well that's the whole point. <laughs> now, when you hear Dave, when you hear Lucy with a sky with diamonds, Lucy in the sky with diamonds, what do you think of? Well, you think of Sergeant Peppers, exactly. Right. right. Well, what do you think of when you hear Judy in disguise with glasses? What crosses your mind? That song for the nineteen sixties. Uh, yes, uh, it hopefully didn't cross mine, and if I did, I left it on too long. You'd rather not remember is what I'm saying. I'm still trying to forget what the song was about, even made in the first place. What a way to start off the year 1968. I really don't know what John Fred and his Playboy band was attempting to do, or to be. If they thought it was a cute Beatle parody, it wasn't. If they thought it was a wow, real psychedelic man-type tune, it wasn't. Were there people who took LSD to make the song disappear? Yeah, but not enough. It was number one for two weeks. All right, we're going to take a last break, come back. We'll update you on the highway situation on the 101 and have some more music with King Harris as he highlights songs that reached number one that he didn't think uh, deserved to. I'm Dave Congleton. This is Hometown Radio. Four forty-eight on Hometown Radio. Let's check back with Craig. Craig, what's happening? Yep, still got uh, that extreme slowing northbound one hundred and one uh, due to a fire. It is uh, from Reservoir Canyon all the way back to the LOVR ramp, and we also have another accident uh, north Spyglass, and that has things jammed up, and it's growing to the South Higuera ramp. So in between those two areas. All right, we're here all the way to seven o'clock. We keep an eye on traffic with you. By the way, thank you for everybody texting in on the Stolberg line. Agreeing with me that Cherish is a great song. Take that, King Harris. All right, <laughs> you, you 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 picked uh, Barry Sadler, Ballad of the Green Berets, as the worst number one ever. This next song gets my vote, hands down. Go ahead and set it up for us. Well, Dave, I, you know, I'd be the first to admit I'm a Bobby Goldsboro fan, except for his recording of Honey a really bad sentimental country song that topped the charts for five weeks in 1968. Probably the most versatile year of the decade, and Honey's number one. I was looking over Bobby Goldsboro's 
little itinerary here on the charts. And he does starts in 1962. Mostly he's in the uh, late teens or 20s or 30s with his songs until you get to 368 and Honey. That's number one for five weeks. And then after that, he goes to the bottom of the charts again. Hmm. So this song apparently was one that really got a hold of a lot of people, and uh, they really liked it. Uh, Bobby Russell wrote the song, and the lyrics are really bad if you listen to them. Understand that this is a ballad about a woman who died, leaves her husband behind with some pretty inane memories. For example, the narration goes in the record, She's always young at heart, kind of dumb, and kind of smart. She slipped and almost hurt herself, and I laughed till I cried. Now, I wouldn't have wanted narrator Goldsboro to have been my husband. I think he's kind of a jerk if he's crying every time I hurt myself. Yeah, all right. See the tree, how big it's grown. But friend, it hasn't been too long. It wasn't big. I laughed at her and she got mad The first day that she planted it was just a twig Then the first snow came and she ran out to brush the snow away So it wouldn't die Came running in, all excited Slipped and almost hurt herself And I laughed till I cried I'm starting to cry right now. Holy Lord. This was, what, five weeks at number one? Yeah, five weeks. Count them. That hurts. Yeah, it does. Now, you, you mentioned another song he did. It's watching Scotty Grow. interesting. Watching, watching Scotty, Scotty Grow. Watching Scotty Grow. Yeah. Which, which came afterwards, and uh, that reached number 11. So those two songs were his huge hits, and I think that's kind of crazy. But uh, nonetheless, you know, I, I must say, looking back uh, this hour, that I appreciate the people who like Cherish as a song. It's not that I dislike it. It's just that it's not my style as much. But uh, if you like it, that's fine. I, as I said, it's a well-produced song. I'm trying to get out of it, Dave, is what I'm trying to do. That's now, fine. I would tend to say the one word you could use to describe most miserable number one songs. Here's the word, annoying. You want a good example? In the year 2525 by Zager and Evans, DJs played this dumb song relentlessly for at least 13 weeks. Six of those at the top. That's more than three months listening to obtuse lyrics like, in the year 4545, ain't going to need your teeth or your eyes. You won't find a thing to chew. Nobody's going to look at you. Uh When this dumb song came out, we just landed on the moon, and I was on my way to Vietnam. And looking back, I'm sure one reason I went to Saigon in the first place was to escape Zager and Evans. Your arms are hanging limp at your side. Your legs got nothing to do. Some machine doing that for you. In the year 65, 65, 
As I recall, they were one-hit wonders. Oh, thank goodness. I'm right, right? They they didn't have another hit. No, they didn't. And it was, I, I, everybody took that song so seriously. But you know, it was written. It wasn't written and released in 19, uh, the late 60s. It was actually written like in 62 or 63. And it just happened to make its way to the charts um, many years later. So... I guess I can understand that, but uh, it's so serious and it doesn't mean anything. Nobody's going to look at you. What What does that song even mean? Why is it even there? I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's uh, six weeks. My final nod to Misery goes to a group that never existed. And I'm not referring to the Archies, who made number one in the perfect 1969 bubblegum smash Sugar Sugar, which I'm sure some people feel should be on this list. I'm talking about a group called Steam, who closed out the year with what would be today considered a sports anthem. Na na, hey hey, kiss him goodbye. If you don't, that doesn't mean anything to you. You have to hear it, and then you'll get it. This is actually a B-side. Needed a couple of musicians that could complete a single, so that's what they did. That's why this dreadful tune is basically one long chorus, so they could stretch out the song and uh, release it as a single. Hmm. Ad nauseum. We have the mono version here. Hmm. Well, you know, King, on your list, I think we had 20 songs here. I disagree with you on four. Not bad. And this is no, one of them. I, I, like the, I like this song. It's just a good, you know. You like Steam and yeah. na, na, na. Kiss well, and give, oh. If you're in a crowd and you're at a football yeah. game or something or okay. basketball game, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, it's the perfect song. Yeah, well, I can understand that. But not if you're tooling around in your 56 Chevy, you know, waiting for a good rock and roll song to come along. Uh, Steam ain't it to me. But that's okay. You know, it uh, garnered a lot of attention. It's still sung today at at, uh, stadiums and anthems and venues and things like that. We're being told. Anyway, I'm sorry. We're being told that this uh, the Steam song is featured prominently in the movie Remember the Titans. Oh, that's one I just saw. Um, anyway, I, I, the 60s were okay, I mean, but uh, I think at uh, this point uh, we should go on to the 70s, except the number ones in the 70s are pretty depressing as well. I mean, 
the night Chicago died, for example, comes to my head. That's not to me qualify as a number one song, but 70s are a totally different animal, but there's still number ones in there. Hmm. That you might uh, might not think deserve it. You're sparking a lot of disagreement on the Stahlberg text line. There are people defending the association and steam. As somebody even here, uh, I, I disagree with you vividly on the Ballad of the Green Beret. So everybody, well, knew- everybody's got a favorite. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know. Everybody, I didn't say that this was the actual truth. All I said was, you know, you listen to it and you make up your own mind. If you like it, that's fine. You know, I'm just giving my opinion as to that they number one. Well, I don't know if they're number one or not. Uh, but, now, next Friday, with 45 seconds left, we're going to hit famous duos. Oh yeah, we've got some great duos coming up. And uh, they range from uh, a couple of sisters like Patience and Prudence to Don Gardner and Dee Dee Ford and Ike and Tina Turner and, and Otis Redding and Carla Thomas with a song called Tramp. It's really going to be a fun adventure into all kinds of different music genres. Uh, based on uh, two people getting together and singing and performing. I love it. That will be next Friday at 4 o'clock. King Harris, thanks as always for joining us. Have a great Easter, and we will talk to you next Friday. You too. Thanks, Dave. All right. Thank you, sir. Off we go. We've got ABC Radio News. Craig will update us on the situation with the 101. We will spend the next hour with uh, 3rd District County Supervisor Dawn ortiz Lake. And then we'll have the open line and wrap up the week, get you ready for the weekend. Sound good? Then stay with us. I'm Dave Congleton. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kbec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.